0: Hey. Um, welcome. I'm glad that you are here this morning. Um, I know most of you, but I see some unfamiliar faces. And so, um, by way of introduction, I am Elizabeth Myatt. Um, my husband Chris and I um, have been at church here since um, the very beginning. Our families both helped plant this church. And other than college and Chris's graduate school, we have been here for most of our lives. We have three children Hudson, Grace Ann, and Will. And um, we love this church. I love this church. I love the women of this church. I love the people in this church and are just really thankful that the Lord has seen fit to have us here for so many years alongside our um, family. My mother-in-law is Gail and um, my parents go here too. And it's just um, been, we love this place and I love you very much. And so know that all of this is out of a lot of love for you. Um, I have never done anything like this. This is my first time. And so I wish you luck. (laughs) Um, let me um, let me um, pray for us and then we will um, get started Um, Lord I just come to you this morning I praise you for the truth of your word I praise you for um, your mightiness and your power I pray that as we work through this text this morning that you give us um, um, just an open-mindedness to it that you open our hearts to be able to receive it and that um, we are changed because of it. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. All right. It would help if I got my one other sheet out here. Um, we are mainly in chapter 10. I'm going to hit a couple of things briefly. And then we're kind of going to camp out on verse 5. Let me pull out. My, there we go. All right. Um, so I'm going to start. And I'm going to read just to refresh, just to have it all fresh in our minds. I'm going to read for us. One through five. Um, actually, I'm going to go through six and finish that sentence, and then we're going to kind of start at the top and work down. So, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Okay, so first, where are things in the Corinthian church at this point? Um, So they have come a long way, right? We saw Paul, he planted this church, and then they misbehaved terribly, They these terrible things. And he had to write to them a couple of times in one really hard letter, calling them out on a lot of their sin and calling them to repentance back under Christ. We saw that um, they had some questions for him about how things were to go that they weren't clear with. And so um, at this point in this whole letter, there's been such restoration in that relationship um, with Paul. Um, the bulk of that church has repented. They have, they have um, turned away from those false teachers and they have come back under Christ's authority, their relationship with Paul has been healed. And you remember maybe in chapter seven, he was so thankful and so just emotional that they received that severe letter well from Titus and that and he was just so so humanly emotional and so grateful to that. And so we have seen them come so far and we have seen that relationship really be restored. Um, then in chapters eight and nine, we saw him have this conversation with them about their money. And so, you know that that relationship had to have been in a good place because that's not an easy thing to talk to people about. Um, You've committed to giving this money, and I want to encourage you to do that. And so, we saw him talk them through that money, um, that gift that they were going to give to this poverty stricken church in Jerusalem. Um, We saw him explain to them how he was going to do it, how they could trust him, how he was going to have other people come, and these group of them were going to carry that money um, to Jerusalem. Um, he encourages them to give this gift cheerfully and really tries to get into their heart and help them to do this in the right way. And so we saw that in chapters 8 and 9. Um, up until this point, we have seen in this whole letter, in all of 2 Corinthians, his language has been kind. It's been gracious. It's been conciliatory. In lieu of this restored relationship, it's, he's, he's talked so nicely to them in all of his language. Um, we are going to see that change. Um, in chapter Ten, we see that change. He comes out his like his his tone is more authoritative. He has got stronger language in general. He starts out talking about this war. And there's just the tone is just very different than what it has been. And so we're just going to see that language change um, in the remaining bit of this letter. His primary audience at this point, um, you know, we know that the bulk of this congregation has repented. His primary audience now is, the, remain, the false prophets and the remaining few that are still following, still listening to those false prophets. That's who he's really focusing on here at this point. He's saying um, you know, the bulk of you have come under Christ. The bulk of you have repented. But there's still some of you that I'm talking against. And we, we are kind of coming after you um, here. So that is really who you see him talking to. Um, in verse 1, let's um, look at that verse 1 where you see just right off um, Paul's feistiness here. Um, You see him right off. He says, um, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. Um, And so he is letting them know there that he knows what those false prophets have said about him. He knows that they have said, that dude's humble when face to face with you, but bold when he's away. That's what he is saying. I know what you have said about me. Um, Here's an example for you. You and your friends are together, and you are talking about Sally. And you were talking about Sally and how her house is a wreck and her children are out of control. And you all agree in this group that Sally's house is a wreck and her children are out of control. And then later, Sally group texts all of you and says, "Hey guys, it's me, Sally, with the out of control, with the house that's a wreck and the children who are out of control. That's me. That's what's happening here. He's saying, "I know what you said about me. Here I am." Um, and he goes right into with that, I beg of you, do not make me be bold. Do not make me be bold. He says it at the very beginning of verse 2, I beg you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence. So he moves right into, I know what you've said. I know what you were saying. Um, please don't make me have to be bold against you. Um, this is hard for me to articulate. I don't know how to say that to you any differently than what he is saying. Don't make me have to be bold. But haven't you felt that? I have certainly felt that as a parent. I have felt that I have parented these children through things. I have hoped for um, repentance in them, in their relationships amongst one another. I can feel myself standing at the bottom of the stairs, hearing these things go on up there between them that should not be going on. And I am standing at the bottom of the stairs saying, please don't make me come up there. Do not make me come up there. It is not going to go well for you. It is not going to go well for us. Do not make me come up there and show the boldness towards you that I am capable of showing. You do not want me to do this. I don't want to do this. Don't make me do it. I beg of you. I beg of you. Do not make me come up these stairs. Someone last night said, don't make me pull this car over. You know, and that is how you feel. You know, don't make me do this. I don't want to do this. Um, and so you see how what he's saying. He doesn't want to do this. Um, different language than what we've seen thus far. This is different language. He's not talked to them like this. He's not, asked, he's not, he's not talked to them like this. It's just been much, much kinder and softer until this point. Um, he goes on. He says, I don't want to do this. I beg of you. But goes on to explain how he will do it if it is necessary. Um, so the next couple of verses. Drink right here. Um, in verses three through six, we see him give us this picture of war. Um, we see him explain to the Corinthians what he is doing and how he is how how this war is going to happen. And so if you look, let's see, um, looking like verse, I guess four. Um, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Um, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion, raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So what he's saying here is there are strongholds in the world. There are strongholds out there. Um, And he has divine weapons with divine power to take down those strongholds. Um, What is a stronghold? The definition of a stronghold is a place where a particular belief is strongly defended or upheld. So in your head, in your heart, a place where a particular belief is strongly defended or upheld. Um, This is also translated fortresses in some translations. And so where they are going to destroy fortresses. Um, and a fortress is a person not susceptible, the definition here, um, a person not susceptible to outside influence or disturbance. So that is what they are seeking to break down, break down these strongholds. So any good um, general or commander or like leader of fighting people has <laughs> some sort of a plan. They have a plan about how they're going to attack Right? We're going to attack here and go there. We're going to move in on the right, and then we're going to take this down on the left. We're going to go north, and then we're going to go east. You know, Everyone has a plan. They don't send these troops in and just say, charge. You know, it's not, that's not how it goes. Every good leader has a plan, and so Paul has a plan, and his plan here that he is explaining is, number one, we're going to destroy arguments. Number two, we're going to destroy every lofty opinion. Those are the first two things that they're going to take. They're going to take. They're going to hit there first. They're going to hit those lofty opinions. They're going to hit those arguments. And then ultimately, we are going to take captive every thought. So that's his plan. We're going to strike the arguments. We're going to strike the lofty opinions. And then ultimately, we will take every thought captive. Um, you see how that plan is going to dismantle their thought processes, Um that are holding on to these things, these strongholds that are raised against the knowledge of God. That is his plan about how to attack those things. Um, Paul knows that this strategy will work, he knows it will work. Um, turn with me to Acts 22. Let's see. Acts 22 we're going to start in verse six. This is Paul, or actually he's still Saul here. Um, And this is him on the road to Damascus. This is his kind of conversion story. Um, So 22 verse six says, I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. Paul knows that this strategy will work because it happened to him. This strategy happened to him in his life. In this moment, in this moment, every argument, every argument, in his stronghold was broken down. Every lofty opinion against Christ was broken down. And in this moment, all of his thoughts were taken captive unto Christ. And when they are, what does he say in verse 10? Lord, what, where shall I go? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? What direction do you want me to take? What do you want me to, to do? Lord, where shall I go? And so he knows that this will work. He knows this plan is effective because it has happened to him. Big, big strongholds in his life. There were big strongholds in his life. He you know that they were. And in that moment, those weapons with divine power broke all of that down. And he says, Lord, every thought, where do you want me to go? I'll go anywhere. Where do you want me to go? What shall I do, Lord? Okay. There are three main points that we are going to focus on now concerning this picture. Um, I'm sorry I'm not techie. I don't have them on any sort of screen for you. Um, but the three points are, number one, you come to this with prejudice. Number two is, what does taking every thought captive mean? And number three is, you will be free. Okay. Number one. Um, Tim Keller makes the most interesting observation about this that's just worth worth thinking through. Um you have to understand, he says, as Americans, and I'm making an assumption that the majority of you are Americans or are generally entrenched, entrenched in Western culture. Some of you may not be, and you may have a different experience that may do you well as you read this and as you hear this kind of language. But for the most of you, um, we in the United States are so free. We can do anything we want to do. We can have it our way. We can all of our dreams can come true. We are so free in the United States we have most of us have not ever lived under a monarchy we have not ever experienced kingship we've not ever experienced having to come under submission to anything just because of who they are royalty is foreign to us Um, You know, if you've watched recently like The Crown, um, that series, or like, you know, Royal Weddings. You know, you see these people bow down to this royalty and they have these things that they do to come under the submission to this royalty. You know, we as Americans, we just, we have not experienced this. And so you have to understand as you come to this, you likely come with a lot of prejudice to it. You are not open-minded to this kind of language. Um, Prejudice meaning an, an opinion that you have without having experienced it. You come to this with some opinions about it. Um, we, we don't think that we should have to do anything that we don't want to do. We don't think we have to come under anyone. No one can tell us what to think or what to do or how to do it. Um, it is, we are not open-minded to this kind of thing as Americans. And so know that as you approach this text, it's likely true that you're, you're just, you haven't experienced it and you're just not, you're not innately open-minded to it. Um, secondly, what does taking every thought captive mean? Okay, what does this mean? Um, first, why does God why does he have a right to our thoughts anyway? Why does he have that right? Um, he has that right because I'm going to mark these spots. see if I can get there quick. Genesis 127. Genesis: 127 says, "So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, He created him, male and female, He created them." So has a right to our thoughts because he created us, because he is our creator. Um, two examples for you. One, um, you write a song. You pour all of your creative ability into this song and you write the song and you are um, excited to have it published and have it out there and have all of the praise and glory that goes along with it. And you are going to be able to control where it goes and who hears it and how much it costs and where it's available and yada, yada, yada. And in, and before you're able to get it out there, someone steals it. Someone comes and steals this song from you. And they publish it. And they copyright it. And they have the rights to it. And they get all the money and all the praise and all the orny, honor and glory for this song. That is not right. That song did not belong to them. They didn't have a right to it. They didn't have a right to control it because it wasn't theirs. They didn't create it. And it wasn't theirs. All of you would feel that way. All of you would feel that way about that. Um, second, example of my children in the Legos and they are creating these these masterpieces with these Legos and one day does one of them create this masterpiece that another one destroys this masterpiece. And it is heartbreaking for the child who had their masterpiece destroyed. And so we're talking through why this is wrong that you destroy this. And there's this big long list of adjectives of, of reasons to, to say why this is wrong. It was rude. It wasn't kind. You didn't, weren't thinking. It was selfish. You know, there's all these things. But at the end of it, I, I'm saying, honey, it didn't belong to you. That was not yours. You can't destroy it because you didn't create it. You didn't have the right to choose when it got broken apart, because you didn't create it. That wasn't yours. You didn't have the right to it. And so if that is true, if we, and you would all experience that that way. You would all agree with that. It wasn't, they didn't have the right to it. Um, Is that not even more true of our God? He has created us. He has given, he has given us every. He has created all of us, and is that not even more true of Him? If we have the rights to the song, and if we have the rights to the Lego masterpiece, then He certainly has the right to us, and He has the right to our thoughts. That is that is the the number one reason that He has the right to our thoughts is because He is our Creator. Um, he is not saying that He wants to control, that He has a right to your Sunday mornings. He's not saying it is a right to your Wednesday nights or your hour quiet time in the morning or your children or your marriage or your money or your agenda. He is saying, I have a right to your every thought, your every thought about all of these things. I have a right to your every thought. They belong to me. I am your creator. Um, So what, God, what would you have me do with my time? What would you have me do with my money? What would you have me do with my marriage? What would you have me do with my social life? What would you have me do with my children? What would you have me do, Lord? Lord, where shall I go? All right, number three. You will be free. Okay. We have this flawed way of thinking where we think that our thoughts or anything for that matter that are going to be held captive or taken captive um, in some way takes away our freedom this flawed way that if we have to come under Christ and if we can't control our thoughts if we can't control things about our life that we won't be free you know it's like the quintessential Christian argument I don't want to be a Christian because like I have all those rules I have to do all those things I won't be free if I have to be a Christian Um, I have to like have to do all these things or not do all these things but I'm not free Um, you know the truth is the truth is, it is the sin that binds. It is the sin that enslaves. That It is the sin that makes us not free. Um, don't you know that feeling? I know I shouldn't say this, but. Just don't tell anyone I did. Um, I know I shouldn't do this, but. Just one more time. In that, you are a slave to the sin. You know you shouldn't do it, but you, you're enslaved to it. Um, I guarantee you, if you look deeply in your heart, you will find on some level that you are unwilling to give up this sin, some sin in your life because you think it will make you less free. It will make you less free. You won't be getting to do what you want to do and you think it will make you less free. Um, you know, Lord, I just love I love my money. I love my social life. I love my trashy TV. I love my this habit or that habit. I just love these things so much. And you don't want to give them up because you think you will be less free if you have to give things, things, these things up. Um, the truth is, again, it is the sin that binds. It is the sin that enslaves. It is the sin that keeps you from doing what you are made to do. And you are enslaved to it. It is the sin that binds. John 8, 34. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Psalm 146, 7. The Lord sets prisoners free. Romans 6.6, 6, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Romans 6.18, having been set free from sin. Romans 6.20 says it again, when you were slaves of sin. 6.22 says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Revelation 1.5, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, Galatians 5.1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. And 1 Peter 2.16, live as people who are free. We are at our best when we are taking every thought captive unto Christ and living as God intended for us to live. We are not more free when we don't live within the parameters God has set out for us. Think about it. The train is not more free when it is off the track. The fish is not more free when it is out of the water. The car is not more free when it's off the road. And we are not more free when we are controlling our thoughts. Is this ever true of us? Do we ever think that we are more free if we control our thoughts? If we have our thoughts captive, Um, is it true? Do we believe that we are more free if we are controlling things? Or are we willing to come into the conformity of Christ and offer up our every thought to his rule in our life? Um, You are not giving anything up here. You are not giving anything up. It is rightfully his. He is your creator. There's nothing for you to give up. You do not own it. You do not own it. You are allowing the rightful owner to rule over his creation. And in that, you will be at your very best. You will be doing what you have been designed to do which is bringing glory to him. Um, Let your thoughts be taken captive by him. Um, Come under his authority and live as Christ's people, live free. Um, I love all of you so much. I say all of these things to you and to myself with so much love, so much love for you. Um, Let me pray for us. Father, I come to you and I praise you for the truth of your word. I praise you that we are free that you have set us free of that sin. Lord, I, um, I just praise you for that. May we leave here today and may we, may we not be afraid to leave this sin behind. It is the sin that binds, Lord. Let us not forget that. Let us not forget that, Lord. Lord, you have allowed us to be free and may we, um, may we live as people that are free. In Jesus' name, amen.